You're drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect life. Hello, everybody. And welcome to the Word on the Hill. I am Lanky Guy 1. And I am Lanky Guy 2. Always, always number two. Dude, you're number two in my book. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> you're the best. You're the you're the almost best. You're the you're you're really close to being the best. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, my name is Father Peter Musset, uh, uh, otherwise known as Lanky Guy One. And what's your name? I'm Scott Powell. Just Scott. And today we're coming to you live from the Stanley Hotel. The haunted Stanley Hotel, right? Nah, I mean, except for the fact that Father Brady, he um he went into his room the other night and it was like late and he was trying to get everything going and um he went to turn on the one of the lights and it was uh, a black light. What? Yeah, they that's put a black right. light in one of the lamps. No, that's not right. Seriously, was yeah. it really? Are you being serious? Are you really- being a joke? No, no, no. He got all freaked out, too, and he oh. celebrated the Mass in his room just because he was, like, oh. all tweaked, man. Well, I would be tweaked, too. I know. That's, it's actually the right – that's the right response. So we should clarify. I'm actually not at the Stanley Hotel. I am in Boulder, Colorado, sitting at your desk. Sitting at my desk. It's kind of like you've taken on my authority kind of doing that. I fired somebody today, just so you know. Is that all oh, right? Oh, no. And I gave some raises. Okay, that's good. I hope you included yourself in the raises. I'll go back and do that. Can you hold on a second? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, silly. We're both a little bit moody because it's taken a long time to get our sound working. So I can tell yeah, we're both it's, moody. It's so funny. It's one of those things where like, you just like keep going on something, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, come on. Why is this not working? Well, I came over here a half an hour before we started the podcast just to make sure everything was good and ship shape and smooth, and I did test recordings, and then I get kicked in the gut. Kicked in the gut. Well, hey, I got a shout out to um, a couple of people. Um, okay. uh, Carrie Floyd is walking the Camino right now. At this moment. And, at this moment. And she met fellow, well, she met Pam and Pete of a listener named Bryce who are on the Camino. Wait, but wait, wait. somehow. What? Okay, so Pam and Pete are parents. Parents. I didn't of, hear the word parents. Yes. Right. And, um, and so, so Carrie shouts out to Bryce whose parents are on the Camino, and also to Pam and Pete. So it's it's really a very complicated uh, situation. I don't yeah. know how Pam and Pete know that their son Bryce listened to the podcast, but I think Pam and Bryce also listen to the podcast now, too. This is the most complex shout-out we've ever had. Yes, and so it, and they're on the Camino, and they met on the Camino, so cool. we're, we're international, man. We're big in Manila. <laughs> That's true, actually. It is actually true. So shout out to everybody in Manila. I don't know how to say shout out in Manila, but Filip- you guys are awesome. Filipino. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't Sorry. Let's well, just, I was just. I just went with the location rather than the language because no, I don't know. That's good. We should just move on. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So we. Dude, oh yeah. What's up? I'm. I'm getting like phone calls. I got like a phone call because they wanted me to take my picture downstairs. Oh, no. and I was like, I'm podcasting. Shoot. And now somebody's calling me on the phone because we're on this thing and we got Skype. Oh, There's messages. We live in a technological age. You turn on a piece of technology or go anywhere and everybody's like, hello, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, there's lots of things happening. There are lots of things happening. 
That's true. Including including the readings. Including the fourth Sunday of Easter. Which it Yay. is, right? Fourth Sunday. Yes. We're closing in on Pentecost. <coughs> right? Yeah. Sort of. Absolutely. We're getting there? No. So we're in the fourth Sunday of or- uh fourth Sunday of Easter, right? <laughs> it is not ordinary time, not, Scott. Nothing ordinary about this time. And so what do we got? Our readings, our first reading is coming from the book of Acts of the Apostles, just like last week. Chapter two. Chapter six. No, not at all. Not at all. Oh shoot! Yeah, no, that's next week, dude. Oh man, Did you oh, this, the wrong g- this is this is gonna get interesting. <laughs> this is gonna be fun. Yay! <laughs> all right, so we're actually in chapter Acts, chapter two, verse fourteen, a to thirty-six through forty-one. Yay! Hee-haw. Hee-haw. And then we're Psalm Psalm twenty-three. Correct. The Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I shall want. Nothing. One to two, a three to three b to four <laughs> five six. All right. Then our second reading, we're still in First Peter, chapter two, verse twenty B to twenty-five. Yeah, and then we then we uh, then we climb the, all the way to the summit of John ten one through ten. That we do. That's true. All these things are true. And 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 what's going to happen is that um, we're going to go we're going to go through the gate on that one. We're you know we're not going to mess around. We're not going to like take an alternative route. We're just going straight. I, d- I know you're trying to connect it with the reading, but I'm not I'm not getting it. That's okay. You'll get it eventually. I mean, I know I know the sheep gate, but I don't. Is that what you're doing? Is that where you're going there? Yeah. If you climb over the the thing, then you're gonna be stoned to death or something, right? What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> let's just let's let's jump in because this first on, reading for Max. Oh shoot. All right. Well, no, you're not being mean. I feel silly. No, I'm not trying to make you feel silly though. All oh right. hey, I also want to give okay. another shout out oh, to um, Father sake. Jeff, for uh, Father Jeff Wilborn who listens to oh, us. Oh wait, Father Jeff, wait, how do I know Father yeah. Jeff? Father Jeff, Father Jeff. Um, he, Father he's Jeff. out in Byers now. Okay. And awesome. uh, and he's he says he usually has his, his he usually has his homily put together, but then he listens to us and he says that there's awesome nuggets it that come out of this. Everything. <laughs> yeah. So basically, he just called you a nugget. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm speechless. You've you've rendered me speechless, Father Peter and Father Jeff. Uh, that is okay. that, that's how I, that's how I roll. That is how you roll. All right. So Acts of the Apostles, which you didn't study, not to rub it in. Oh no, actually, actually no, I did st- I did study this one. Sorry, I, I just I just clicked on the wrong button. Yeah. Oh good. Okay. Well then, all's well. Um, good. I have so much technology in my face and books around me. I don't know where to begin. Okay. No, no, I do. Okay. So. I, well, wait a second. Wait one minute. Is this... Oh. I'm just comparing this to last week's. It is. We have the same first verse this week as we did last week. Dude, that's awesome. Which, Hold on. I didn't so, notice until just s- now. So basically, we started the same way that we did last exactly time? Exactly right. We started in 2.14 last time. We start in 2.14 this time. And we jump somewhere else this time than we did last time. So what Dude, it's that's doing, a unique experience. What it's doing, though, is it, it's just setting the context. So it, the, that verse simply says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, he raised his voice, and he proclaimed. And he proclaims two different things <laughs> in each week. <laughs> because it's taking two different parts of the same speech. This is his big Pentecost speech, right? So we talked about you know, Pentecost a little bit last time. This is uh, What we're getting this week comes from the very end of it. The end of the Pentecost speech. 
Oh, okay, sweet. Um, which uh, is, so let, let's just look, it's not very long. So he said, let the whole Israel, house of Israel know for certain that God made both Lord and Christ, Jesus, who you crucified. Now, when they heard this, so he's just, so we're at the very end of what was a long speech in which he kind of goes through salvation history. He shows who Jesus was, what he did, why they are, you know, we're all sort of to blame for this. They put him to death. They crucified him. And what, where we kind of pick it up, it says, now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they asked Peter and the other apostles. I mean, this is the same group of people that a few minutes earlier were just saying, these guys are totally drunk. Now they're cut to the heart and they're saying, okay, well, hey, oh, formerly drunk people, what do we do about this? <laughs> so they've, they've had quite a conversion just within the course of this, this, little, uh, this little speech. Dude, Peter, man, he, he brought it. And, well, everybody was preaching. Dude, and that's the wild thing. Dude, is like, Peter, man. Is that from Office Space? I don't know. All right, let's just move on. Okay, everybody was preaching. Everybody's preaching. And um, this is one of the cool things is that it, as you look at this reading, context of where they're preaching really becomes important because how do you practically baptize 3,000 people? Right. Well, you don't practically baptize them. You do baptize them, but how do you do it practically? Just I knew, just to clarify to everyone what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Practically speaking, this is pretty impractical. <laughs> right. I did, we do have to, I do have to clarify something else, though. It's not as if, so if you follow the text, it's not as if all of the apostles are giving a speech simultaneously. Earlier, at the, the beginning of chapter 2, they were all speaking and extolling the wonders of God. Then it's clear in the text, they stop. Peter stands up in the midst of all of them. They're quiet, and he speaks. Got it. And they, he must have had, um, there was a gift of the spirit in this particular one because they were thinking that they were drunk right. because they were hearing different languages. But in this one, as soon as they hear Peter, yeah. they're all hearing him in their own language. Yeah. Uh, oh, I guess that's, well, gosh, I guess that's true. I never thought about that. Because because there's a, no other way for these 3,000 people who are all hearing all these different languages wow. to grasp it except for the fact that, he that like somehow there was a special grace. I guess that's true. I never, I've never thought about that. Wow. Nice work. Either that, or he gave the speech four or five different times. Oh, what? A, how annoying. <laughs> I know, dude. It's it's uh, like God bless us everybody, but the um, I can't. I I struggle through like when I go to Lourdes and they'll like they'll like proclaim every reading oh, in know. like six different versions, and you're like, oh, this is hard. Every time I'm in Lourdes, I'm simply. Simply bored to death. (laughs) 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 Whenever I'm in mass with the Pope, I get so bored hearing all the translations every single time. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I get it. I know. I know what you're saying. (laughs) You're saucy. I I like it. Um, Okay, so so this is a speech. They're moved. They say, "What do we have to do?" And his response is, "Repent and be baptized." So you were about to tell us about the place that they are the location practically which which this is the thing is that on the southern side of the temple in jerusalem there would be a thing called a mikvah bath mm-hmm. and the mikvah baths were a place i mean you know the the old phrase that says um uh, cleanliness is next to godliness yes isn't that a isn't that an israelite saying i have no idea where that comes from 
I don't either. But uh, to enter into the <laughs> temple, you had to be purified. And yes. so they had these like p- pilgrim baths yeah. that were numerous all over the southern steps of yes. the temple so that you could enter from the south and then go and, and actually offer sacrifice and worship for pilgrims. Yes, indeed. So it would actually be most practical if the speech of Pentecost took place on the on these steps because it would it would be easy for then twelve different people yeah. or the eleven or yeah. even even more than the eleven with the disciples well, to true. go and to actually then go through and baptize all these people using these mikvah baths, which were these purifi- basic purification stalls for the true worship of God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. And I. I just think that that's a, I think that that, that context to me makes so much sense. Cause I mean, trying to do, I mean, I, one of the things that we kind of talk about, well, I'm on the convocation right now for the Archdiocese of Denver, which is the um, gathering of all the priests together. And, uh, and one of the things that in a haunted hotel, I know with the shining streaming on one of the channels uh, no, on a loop 24 sh- seven. No, it's not. Oh yeah, it is. No, is it really? Red Room. Is, de- Red is Dumb and Dumber streaming on the other one? <laughs> Dude, a man can only hope. <laughs> yes, he can. We landed on um, the moon. Okay, sorry. Move on. And so, well, I, what was I even saying, man? I, I was holding on to the thread as we were I'm talking sorry. about these things, I'm but I can't remember. I'm this week, I guess. Oh, you are, man. This is what, it, is this what it feels like? Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's totally ridiculous when you have like all these profound things to say and you just keep getting interrupted. Well, well oh, this is what I was going to say is that at the convocation here, we're tr- like, they're like, how many baptisms did you have at your Easter vigil? And, and one guy's like, I had 2,542. The other guy's like, I had, I had one. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> guy, no, the guys are like, yeah, I had 120. What? I had like, you know, 18. I was like, I had, I had three. I'm pretty cool. But they were good ones. They were really good ones. I just think that it's funny, like, like the, in some ways there's like, I like relating to priests on that level, but it's also kind of strange. It could be competitive. Yeah, it could come that. off sounding competitive. I can see that. But it really, it really isn't. It's more just kind of like, what is the kind of fruitfulness? And I, and I think that, that uh, if you look at the Hebrew idiom, is there something to the word like 3000? Because normally wouldn't we say that it's not just, uh, you know, quantitative, but it's qualitative. Yeah. Here's why I think 3000 is so utterly, utterly important. And I can't remember if we've talked about it on the show or not, but, um, so do you know where else we've seen the number 3000 in the scriptures? There's only um, one other place no. that I can think of that it shows up. Huh. So here's the deal. If you go back way back in history to the time of the Exodus. So remember, so, what what's happening here is I think this is sort of the the moment that the apostles' priestly ministry is sort of actualized. They they get to act as priests kind of for the first time, in a certain sense, okay. right? It's the first time yeah. we see them acting priestly. So who were the original priests in Israel? The original priests in Israel were the uh, well the firstborn. Yeah, the firstborn sons, right? When did the firstborn yeah. sons cease to be the priests of Israel? When they um, got up in revelry at the base of Mount Sinai. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, so they worshipped the golden calf. It was Aaron, one of the prime firstborn sons, who led them into this idolatry. They worshipped the golden calf. There was all these terrible things. Who gets the priesthood from the firstborn sons? The Levitical priesthood. Why did the Levites get it? Do you remember the story? Just because... The um, w- 
was something about because uh, they well they they mowed down everybody who had betrayed the covenant. Yeah, so Moses comes down basically, and he's like, "All right, this is ridiculous. Who is going to stand for the Lord? Like, who's against this? Who's going to stand up with me and and be righteous?" And only the Levites were like, "We will." And so we're told that the Levites get up and they mow down a bunch of their countrymen. That, in a, in a certain sense, is the first priestly action of the Levites. Do you remember how many people they killed that day? Um, Take a wild 3, guess. Yeah, exactly. 3,000 people were slaughtered. The first priestly action of the Plan B group of priests was to kill 3,000. The first priestly action of the new priesthood of Jesus Christ is to bring 3,000 people back to life. Dude, that's the best. Isn't that cool? That's totally rocking my cat spa. <laughs> I don't. I think you mispronounced that, but yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. It, what, what, what's? I just think you mispronounced that. I mispronounced cat spa. Cat spa. You know, like the clash. Rock the rock cat spa. The spa. And that's not the cat spa. It's not like the cat's paw. we'll let we'll let we'll let the listening audience determine what i actually said you guys can decide um no this what this what it is it's gonna be rock the mitzvah oh that's good Uh, rock the mikvah there we go that's that's what we're looking for that's good so um so there we are now okay i kind of want to leave that hanging out there because this week's okay. readings are sort of... Do you remember the Sesame Street thing? One of these things is not like the other? One yes, sir. One of these things is... I don't know what your experience was when you were reading through all this, but I was reading through mm-hmm. all these, and I was like, there is a clear theme that is coming out in every one of these readings except one. Did you catch that? Um, no, I didn't, but I'm really excited to hear how you caught that. Okay, so I'm, I'm, let's see if we can do this. So Psalm 23, which... We've talked about this before. There's not too much more we can say. It's it's the probably the most famous psalm in existence. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. Everybody knows the psalm. You know we've kind of heard it. All about the Lord giving me shepherd. He's gonna he's gonna lead me into verdant pastures, giving me repose to restful waters. He's refreshing me. It's this beautiful imagery of the Lord being my shepherd, the one who leads us. Right. Yeah. So, uh, for some reason, the church wants us thinking about that after hearing Peter's speech and these 3,000 being baptized by him, okay? So we, we put that okay. in the back of our heads. We're like, okay, the beautiful psalm, very familiar one. Okay, we read on. We get to um, we get to the first reading from First Peter, and we talked a little bit about First Peter last time. I love the juxtaposition of the speeches because the speech of Peter at Pentecost, I mean, I, we get this beautiful progression. Again, we talked about this last week, but in, in the scriptures we get this beautiful progression of the person of Peter from the, uh, the the kind of crazy fisherman guy who's always running around kind of doing the wrong thing, never understands Jesus, is whipping out swords at the wrong time, calls, you know, Jesus calls him Satan at one point. I mean, he's, he's just kind of a mess. He's immature. He's, he's just a mess. To the guy that's enlivened by the Holy Spirit to give this speech that brings 3,000 people back to life, he finally gets it, all the way to 1 Peter, which is probably written toward the end of his life, where now he has been the Pope for a long time. He's an elder statesman of the church, and he's sort of looking back, reflecting over his life. Totally different Peter. It's beautiful to read it sort of in that light. 
but he's writing in this letter about to, to a persecuted Christian community. And in this reading, he talks about being patient when you suffer for, for doing what's good. It's a grace before God. You've been called to this because Christ also suffered with you. He was insulted. He returned no insult. He suffered. He did not threaten. But at the very end, he says, by his wounds, you have been healed because you had gone astray like sheep. But you've now returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. So Jesus being, which is good, it just goes right into our psalm, which is awesome. Exactly. So Jesus is your so so. If the psalm is sort of this generic idea of the Lord is my shepherd somehow, now the Lord has been embodied in a literal sense in Jesus, who is literally our shepherd, who has brought us back. Right. So you're like, oh, okay, that's that's beautiful, yeah. right? Um, do you have anything else to add to the First Peter, or should we move on to John? Um, I, you know what, I, I look at that and I, I mean, uh, other than the fact that the, the, the third to the last line, by your wounds, you have, by his wounds, you have been healed. Yeah. I mean, this goes right, right back to this really clear understanding of what baptism is. Absolutely. Is, yes. Is, yeah. Good. It, it's an entrance into the woundedness of Christ that is actually healing. And, 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 and in some ways, actually, that's really beautiful. I didn't see this before, but um, that takes us back to. Uh, even this moment of seeing how the wound of sin, even back in the Exodus when the Levitical priesthood was established, is a wound of the heart of Christ. Mm. Absolutely. That that's, that, that that's actually a painful thing that the Lord has to bear wow. because by the wound itself we are healed and like and that's and and even seeing like how hard that is for israel to endure i mean like having all of these people who have betrayed the covenant have to die i mean that's really radically difficult stuff but that that's actually a wound in christ that then he takes to himself so that he can bestow healing absolutely that's really good that's real neat hey man i I've been I've been intentionally uh, studying the scriptures so that I may make a podcast. Good work. It hey. also so, well. Let me. I want to come back to this, but I, I want to tie them all together first. Okay, let's 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 get this bow happening. Okay. Um. So we get to John ten ten. Oh, no, John ten verse one through ten. One to ten. Uh, which is pal- pal- It's a palindrome. Palindromic. No, well, it's it's, it's not. close to palindrome. palindrome. Yeah, shoot. Joe, so what? I'm just trying to be helpful. I'm just sad. I wish it was. That's all. Okay, me too. All right. Um, Jesus said to them, "Amen, amen." I say to you. By the way, something about that. You know, it always says in the script. Whenever Jesus says something important, it says, "Amen, amen." I say to you, or "Truly, truly." I say to you. You've noticed that, right? Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't this? Is, you have to correct me on this, but like, I always thought that that means that, like, like. Um, it's kind of like an I swear statement or something. Uh, it it can be, it can be. Um, not it doesn't necessarily have to though. So what's going on? Okay. We've talked about this in both Greek and Hebrew. There's no superlatives in the language, so you wouldn't yes. say something is is big, bigger, or biggest. You'd simply, if something is really big, you'd say it's big, <laughs> big, big. Or if it's bigger, if it's if it's bigger than anything else imaginable, it's big, big, big. Three is kind of the the top of it. Um, but, but you, you, you also, I, uh, I don't Which think we have the same, you know, good, better, and best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but they don't have that in Greek or Hebrew. So you'd simply double up words. But when Jesus yes. says, amen, amen, I say to you, linguistically, you don't really say those together. When it shows up in writing, it, it's there trying to show you it's accentuating something. Two amens means it's a really big deal of an amen. 
which could either mean it's just a note say that Jesus is saying something really important, or yeah. how, how I like to see it is that Jesus is actually yelling it. <laughs> and he just says, Amen, I say to you. So like, oh, so like okay. for example, in Hebrew, remember in, in Exodus when, when God calls Moses out of the burning bush? And he says, Moses, Moses. I don't think he says, Moses, Moses. I think he just yells Moses, and the Hebrew doubles it to note how loud it was. Which is <laughs> That's cool. It's a much funner way to read the scriptures. It really is. <laughs> so, so, I don't know exactly, but I like to picture Jesus as yelling this. Scott, I say to you. Oh, dude, I just I just did that. And, um, you talked uh, yeah, good I just work. totally put the, the the feedback protection on my yeah. computer. That's how you know it was a good podcast. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. amen, amen, I say to you, whoever does not enter a sheepfold through the gate but climbs over elsewhere is a thief and a robber. Whoever enters through the gate is the shepherd. The gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gate over, whole, gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. As the shepherd calls his own sheep by name, he leads them out. When he is driven out... Uh, out all his own he walks ahead of them the sheep follow him they recognize his voice they won't follow a stranger they will run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of strangers although Jesus used this figure of speech the Pharisees did not realize what he was trying to tell them and then he goes on and then then I say to you I'm the gate for the sheep let's hold on for a second so what is the I mean in all but one of the readings what's the theme shepherd shepherds right sheep and shepherds which um, and this is a beautiful passage. So the the a couple things about the good the, the the famous good shepherd thing here. So um, he says two things. He talks about the people entering a sheepfold through the gate or climbing over it, saying if they don't enter through the gate or climb over somewhere else, then they're a thief or a robber. They're a stranger, in other words. And then later on, he actually says, "I'm the sheep gate. I'm the gate." Later on, and all who come before me are robbers and thieves. The sheep don't listen to them. A little piece of historical insight on this. Um, shepherds themselves. So, so if you picture uh, these pens that were sort of spread all over the Holy Land, where someone would would put sheep for a night, they were usually, and some of the shepherds would just build them there on the spot. They would just pile up stones, and they would create a little pen. But there would always be an opening where you had to bring the sheep in and out. So oftentimes the shepherds would literally lie down and sleep in the sheep gate, and they actually became the the both the protector and the guardian and the door that the sheep entered or, or didn't enter through. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it totally does. And I'm like already picking up where you're going and it's freaking me out, man. Shoot. Where do you think I'm going? Well, if, if Jesus is the sheep gate and the, the shepherd is the one who lies down at the gate yeah. and sleeps there, absolutely. then we have this like profound image of the death of Christ. Oh, that's not as, where I was going. It's because he says, "Are you not deceived that um, they are not they are not dead? They are merely asleep." And I mean, like, well, this is the thing: is is he's always kind of equating sleep and death. And so, if the if the shepherd sleeps at the gate yeah. and Jesus died, then in some ways the gate is the death of Jesus or the sleep of Jesus in which we need to enter into to be able to get there. And the only way to get there to enter into the sleep and to the death of Jesus is how? Suffering. No, no, the no. Baptism. 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 I knew that one. <laughs> <laughs> is this what it feels like to be you? 
It does. <laughs> it is what it. I, dude, I just flipped it on you. I was like, I was like, dude, I'm just gonna ask him a question. It's the worst. That's how I'm gonna roll today. It's hard. It's really stressful. It's really stressful because you know that it's being recorded. And if you make the wrong answer, everybody's gonna judge you. I know. Well, yeah, you're. But but, dude, that's a that's really cool. I, am I right? Yeah. No, I think so. That's not where I was going. But I I I think I think I think all that's there. So I mean, here's a couple more things just to pile it on a little bit. Um. Well, let me get to that in a second. I have some notes here. So a little bit, little bit of background on this. Shepherds in the Old Testament. So remember, Moses um, Moses once said, went, going back to the Exodus again, Moses at one point told God that his people were like sheep without a shepherd. Remember that? Yeah. So he declares that, there, I think this is the, well, and he was a shepherd. Um, let's see. Jesus actually quotes that, by the way. When, when, when Moses says they're like sheep without a shepherd, Jesus actually quoted that very same thing when, uh, remember that passage when the Pharisees say that he's basically working for Satan because he's casting out all these demons in the name of Sa- Satan? Yeah, yeah, I remember that So Jesus that quotes that. He says they're like sheep without a shepherd. Why? Who were the shepherds of Jesus' time? Or who, d- well, who self-declared ha- themselves? There was only one group that, that declared themselves shepherds. Pharisees. The Pharisees. They called themselves the shepherds. Even the priests who were, you know, the Levites weren't, they were less well-known as shepherds than the Pharisees were. The Pharisees took that. So um, you got these shepherds. So, so the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders are supposed to be the shepherds. Jesus is talking about all these people that are other than him. They're climbing over, climbing over. They're thieves and robbers. There's all these sort of false shepherds who are thieves and robbers running around who the sheep will not listen to. And you're, you're, you're supposed to be thinking about all this Old Testament context. You know, David was, was a shepherd who laid down his life for his flock. Um, in Micah, you know, the, the well, actually, in, in Ezekiel, I think that's the strongest one. So in Ezekiel, there was this long discourse in Ezekiel 34 about how the shepherds of the people of Israel actually failed and the sheep became food for the wild beast. At one point, I think it's, I think it's Ezekiel that says the shepherds have become so bad, they're actually eating their own flock. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, I, I know that Do you one that? well. Us priests, yeah, yeah. And so... Yeah, the, the, and so God says, I am against the shepherds. And do you remember what God's remedy for that? So these bad shepherds that are eating their flocks, what's God's remedy? Do you remember? It's still in Ezekiel 34. I don't. He says, I myself will become their shepherd. Yes. Do you remember that? So he says, God himself will be the shepherd. So in light of Ezekiel 34, when Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd, and you know the Old Testament passages that said, God himself alone is the shepherd. What is Jesus actually saying about himself? That he is the shepherd, that he is God. That he's God. I actually think it's an allusion. It's not a proof text or anything, but I think he is making an allusion to his divinity because that was clear in the Old Testament that God will become the shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd, the one, the only good shepherd. In other words, I am God. I'm doing what God has wanted to do. But... Thinking about this whole thing about all these other voices, these thieves, these robbers, the people who are climbing in all these other ways, right, who are trying to, to steal and destroy and slaughter, Jesus keeps, you know, saying, all who all who came before me. Isn't that an, an amazing line? He says, all who came before me. Not, there's some bad ones out there. There's a couple rotten apples. He said, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. How are we as Christians saved? Well, it's through baptism, right? So I, yeah. I'm thinking to myself, so I was reading this this morning. I'm thinking to myself, okay, I don't get how 
the speech in Acts fits in this. I don't get where the shepherd imagery comes into Acts of the Apostles because it just seems like it's the only one that has really nothing to do with any of this. Except that, and this isn't going to be this big profound moment, but I mean, what's going on here? If if Jesus is right and he says, all who came before me were thieves and, and robbers, and there were all these people leading people astray, I mean, what do you actually have? You have this huge crowd of 3,000 people who have been being led astray by the wrong shepherd. What happens? Peter gets up. He speaks in persona Christi in a certain sense, not sacramentally, but I mean, he speaks as the vicar of Christ. He speaks in the voice of Christ. And what do all the sheep do? They hear his voice. They recognize him, which implies a leaving of all the false shepherds and a coming after the one true shepherd. But what's most impressive to me about that is they actually hear it not through the physical, literal voice of Jesus. They actually hear it through the voice of one of his apostles, of one of those who came after him, which tells you something profound about the role of the people of the church, that we're not just, you know, kind of hanging out here trying to hold down the ship until Jesus comes back someday. But Peter actually has the authority of Jesus Christ in his voice because the people hear the voice, not of Peter, but of the shepherd. And that is what makes them come and ask, what do we have to do? They're baptized and they're saved precisely in the way that Jesus says in John that they need to be saved. And then they go out and find pasture. Does that, does that make any sense? It, it does. Absolutely. And I mean, the, the, the principle of, of the unity of, of believers is in the Pope. I yep. mean, that is the, that like he, he remains the principle of unity and, yeah. Um, and we have been brought into Jesus Christ, and and in so in some ways, as the vicar of Christ on earth, um, he is at the he's at the head of the body. He he's identified at the head of the body with Christ, which is just totally intense and beautiful. And that's why in uh, the Pope would actually be considered still, you know, radically conformed to the sheep gate. When the Lord says that, you know, he who enters through me will be saved. And, and like, and Jesus is, is totally self-identified with his church. Yeah. And so we, we remain there with him. And so when that authoritative voice comes, it's like, oh, I respond. Yeah, you got it, man. We are in. Well, there's also a reason that the Pope carries a shepherd's staff. That's what the crozier is. And so, so do all bishops. It's not, you know, it's not just a neat kind of metaphor. I mean, it, it's supposed to be reality. And obviously Peter is, is prime in this. The Pope is, is fundamentally first. But it also, I mean, this, this also su- suggests to us that we actually have some authority in this as well. I mean, we can speak the words of Jesus Christ to people. We can actually lead people back. They can hear the voice of the shepherd through our voices as well, primarily through the Pope, but also in our voices as well. So we actually have... But it's just so amazing to put these pieces together and realize, well, Jesus said this about himself. He is physically, in a certain physical sense, not with us, except in the Eucharist. But his voice isn't with us anymore. So what do we do? How are people going to hear the voice of the shepherd? Well, it's actually up to, yes, Peter, yes, the bishops, yes, the priests, but all of us to actually be the voice that brings salvation to people, which is kind of interesting just to see... So what, what is the church doing? So the church is practically showing us, in a practical way, it's playing out in the narrative what Jesus' words in the gospel actually mean in real life. How does that actually look? Does that make sense? Totally. And and it it kind of works backwards, though, which is why I kind of had a trouble with this week, because you have to take everything in reverse order. 
I know th- they've been tripping us up like that recently. Yeah, that's all right though. I'll take it. Yeah, you and me both. So there you go. But dude, that's what I got, man. That's what you got. That's some good, dude, good podcast, man. Good work. Yeah, you too. (laughs) And thanks for taking time out of your uh, convocation. Dude, man, absolutely. It's good to spend some time with you and spend some time with all the rest of you people who are walking the Camino, who are um, presently doing... driving trucks and doing bonsai work um i want to send a special shout out to those of you who are um doing jewelry to the um podcast to those of you who are actually sitting in listening to the podcast with pen and paper in hand taking notes you guys are you guys uh are really awesome oh dude they're the best you're the best we love you all keep it real tune in um same bat time same bat channel absolutely We'll see you again next week, everybody. Okay. Bye. Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.